What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Papira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Look, I'm not Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm Lou Nagura. And if you're hearing this, you're a Patreon subscriber, so thank you very much. We appreciate you guys. And, uh, yeah, it means a lot to us. And we want to give you some exclusive content. That's the whole point. That's how Patreon works. And this is a continued discussion of Barry and Honey Sherman. And if you haven't listened to the first part, you should probably go back and do that. But moving on, Bill, when we left off, you were talking about five riddles. And I didn't know what you meant by that. I still don't. I thought maybe the heat was getting to you or something. But what are these five riddles that you're talking about? Yeah, well, the heat probably was getting to me because it's like 107 degrees out here, and I'm in a small little yard, a cement yard, and yeah, you're absolutely right. The freaking heat is getting to me. However, I am not delusional. As, as crazy as my sound sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, I am actually... Although we could say that that recording is going to drive me freaking batty pretty soon, but I digress. This is what these five riddles are. We have a case of two billionaires in in Barry and Honey Sherman. And that even that sounds like a freaking name that's probably been made up, but it's not. They're Canadian-born, Canadian citizens who were the owners of Apotox, or Apotox, which is the largest uh, generic drug maker in Canada, and in some cases, the world. They're huge. They had huge fights with Merck and Pfizer and this guy, this case is, is, is full of intrigue. And, and they were found in their home in this really weird yoga position with, uh, you know, ligature marks on their neck because they were, they were necks were tied as someone like they strangled themselves. Very interesting case, very hush hush. The police made mistakes. Case is still unsolved, and for those who didn't listen to the first episode, please do so because there is a ten million dollar. Let me repeat that: there is a ten million dollar reward for anyone that can come up with a possibility as to why this happened and who did it, and that can lead to an arrest. So this is kind of a treasure hunt for you know Death Row Diary listeners and. Look, this is a very interesting case, and remember, if you dedicate some time to it from what I've said, what Matt said, and come up with a theory that actually works and they catch somebody, there is $10 million put up by the children of Barry and Honey that would be given to you. So, 
back to what Matt said about these five riddles. And they really are riddles because no one knows why, and they, they're not saying why these things happen, but here it is. Number one is why did it take so long for police to rule it a double homicide? So first, the law enforcement, when they went to the crime scene, they said it looked suspicious. Now, I don't know who these law enforcement officers were, but you know, finding two bodies, basically strangled to death with these crazy knots in their neck with you know attachments and uh, ropes and belts and things stuck to their necks they couldn't have done it to themselves so they first said that it looked like a murder suicide like barry decided to murder his wife first and then murder himself well anybody that went to the crime scene or seen crime scene photos knows that number one she was not killed in that room. Neither one of them were. They were taken somewhere else. The last time I checked, Matt, you cannot murder your wife in another room, murder yourself in the other room, and then carry your ass to another room, get yourself into a yoga position, do all this crazy officiation, strangulation, possible sexual, you know, Derek Carradine-ish type of thing. So that they ruled that a possible murder-suicide, that he murdered his wife, is absolute nuts, okay? It is freaking nuts. Any first-day detective would have looked at that and said, wrong. But it took them not a day, not two days, but freaking weeks to say, well, it actually took six weeks, and the cops changed their mind. Now, remember this. There was also uh, marks on their wrists that they were tied up by zip ties. Um, even the chief medical examiner said, if this is a murder-suicide, it's the first suicide in history like this. Because this case, it's impossible that he killed his wife and then killed himself. Again, they were tied up. There was also ligature marks on their wrist as if they were actually bound for a while. So that's the biggest problem that I have. Sure, of course, later on, they changed it to a double homicide six weeks later. They also ignored video, DNA, fingerprints were not collected correctly or timely. It's just everything here doesn't make any sense and you want to wonder, if this riddle, why they say it was a murder-suicide, was because bigger companies, bigger money, conspiracies are behind this, the cops are being paid off, or someone was made to rule these things to throw the people off the trail so the wrong, the right evidence wouldn't be collected. All these things scream riddle problem. So that's the first one, Matt. Okay. Yeah, and that's the most obvious one, too. Like, as you said, any first time first year detective could have probably figured that it wasn't um murder suicide and at the very least would have had an awful lot of questions so yeah that makes sense uh what's the second one well the second one is this eerie pose that they were in because they look just like a pair of uh lifelike sculptures that honey loved she got it from another couple. She put it in her home. 
people said it was grotesque. They didn't like these sculptures, but the poses that they were in looked very similar, almost as if the killer was playing a prank. He did this to leave them in that pose, to throw people off, to mess with them. Um, like I said, those human figures were in their home. And why would someone pose them so carefully? What is the, the reasoning behind it? Most professionals don't do that. Most professionals, it's just shot to the back of the head and they walk off, they've killed the people. Uh, any experienced killer would know that if you pose the bodies that way, you know, even if you're paying somebody off, they can only hold off the murder-suicide thing for so long until someone says, look, man, this is a murder, a double homicide. So the second one is that pose. Why would they pose in that way? Why so carefully posed? What was the meaning of it? What was the reasoning behind it? So that's riddle number two. Yeah, so I'm looking at these sculptures, and they are really ugly, but wealthy people don't necessarily have good taste. But yeah, these sculptures are terrible. I wouldn't allow them in my home. But uh, that would make me think that while it's possible that someone intruded and then saw the sculptures and then came up with this plan on the fly it seems quite a bit more likely, right, that the person had been in the home before and that they had premeditated this, right? Well, it looks very premeditated. Um, and it looks like there was a bit of a, there's a bit of a personal thing here. I'm always intrigued that professionals don't act this way. So it could be a profession or serial killers or sick people are, you know, hit it. But either way, the, the, the point is that you never know what a killer's thinking. Maybe it just tickled his fancy to do it that way. Or maybe there was a bit of something there. There was a personal edge to this. So that's a big, uh, uh, I would a big ju- riddle. I would just think and that they were what, familiar with the sculptures already, as a, opposed to just... Um, yeah, I, I guess you could come up with that on the fly but to me it just seems like very much something that someone had thought about beforehand yeah maybe the killer was a, an art aficionado he yeah. thought it tickled his fancy to pose them that way I mean, it's possible it's not likely but it's possible so that's number two on the riddles okay so number three what do we got is was the pharmaceutical industry involved? Um, is specifically Israeli big pharma, and we know that the police made a statement in December, and they said that they've expanded the investigation to other parts of the world. So, farm, big pharma, politics, all involved. There's also a connection to the Clinton Foundation. There's a lot of talk about the Clinton Foundation ordering to hit over a dispute related to the drug um, apotox sent to the, to Puerto Rico and Rwanda and Haiti for relief efforts. I don't know if that's true, but it's being put out there. But the big question here is, was Big Pharma involved? Um, this guy, as I mentioned before in the first episode, was doing business at a very uh, aggressive uh, way he, he just his business model was to just take out the competition and take them out. He had many enemies. He had hundreds. Let me repeat that: hundreds of legal battles against Merck, Pfizer. These are multi. 
billion dollar corporations that if you mess with their bottom end, which is the money, the profits, it pisses them off. So he was also the most active litigant in the industry. There's even books been written about this guy called The Prescription Games. Money, Eagle, Power Inside the Global Pharmaceutical Industry. These are books written about this guy. So these are not something that I'm just coming up with. These are legitimate uh, riddles and questions of people that could have been involved in killing him. Big Pharma, politics, global markets, and of course, that company, Epitox or Apotox, and the hundreds of legal battles they had against Merck, Pfizer, and Israeli big pharmaceuticals. So which of those seems most likely to you, of all those potential culprits? Well, when you talk about billions of dollars, Israeli big pharma, Merck, Pfizer, I, I can't put it back past these guys. It could be, I'm not saying the whole company's involved, it could be one CEO that feels that this is a pain in his side and the best way to get rid of these lawsuits and go on with a drug that needs to be manufactured. We're talking about billions of dollars. The best way is just to take out this couple which are behind all of this stuff. They go away and the lawsuits go away because it was this guy, Sherman. He was the man behind the lawsuits. They got the guy behind it. Let me call you back, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey. Uh, but wouldn't an elite professional hitman, like, you know, the type of guy that works for multi-billion dollar companies, he's not going to mess around with posing them like that and doing all that stuff, is he? Unless instructed to by the client, but... Even then, would those kind of entities want to draw attention to it like that? Or could it just be a, a just, a, what do you call it, almost a red herring? Yeah, well, look, these pharmaceutical companies don't have hitmen on their roster. And like, yeah, let's send, you know, Billy Joe to go kill Matt and Bill. It doesn't work that way. Um, Mark Pfizer, Israeli Big Pharma, they probably have to find someone that could find someone else that can do it. There has to be go-betweens. And sometimes these guys who do killings and do stuff like that are sick. They have some really, I mean, you have to be pretty sick to be a hitman. When you pay someone money, he just goes off and kills people. So, you know, we see the ones on television, which are, you know, Steven Seagal or all these guys that are hitmen or whatever, and they're professionals. But the truth of the matter is that professionals, doctors, lawyers, hitmen, whatever, some of them have medical uh, issues, meaning mental issues. Maybe it's just it struck his fancy. The guy's good at what he does, but he likes to do pose people, do weird stuff. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so number four. Number four is, again, what Barry was involved in. He was involved in a number of tax schemes. He created overseas tax, ha- tax havens to shield the profits from Epitox, his company. He, um, and one of these havens was a yacht company he had. And this is, you know, well known. You can look it up and find it. He was, you know, shielding all his profits. I mean, he had nearly between five and $10 billion as his, um, his nest egg, and it, there's a big discrepancy between five billion and you know ten billion. 
So it's because no one knew what this guy had. He hid things. He also, at the last minute, his most trusted um, colleagues, his most trusted lawyers, had no idea that he was involved in uh, apps and internet and uh, you know apps you can buy in stores. He was involved in one called the Trivia App, app for um, smartphones. No one knew about this. This guy had his hands in so many cookie jars that even today they're still trying to figure out how many different cookie jars he had his fingers in. And then, of course, in this whole thing about tax schemes and havens and trivia apps, there's the big one. There was a wave of price-fixing allegations for everything from generic Viagra to all these different medications that he that he was producing with his companies and the U.S. government was involved. He had to pay nearly $500 million to the U.S. government for price fixing and all these different allegations to do with all this stuff. This guy was deeply involved with major governments. And when you cross paths with guys like that, there's bound to be problems. Okay, so what's the last one? Okay, so the last one, which is kind of tied to all this stuff that he does, and look, um, Barry Sherman was legendary, okay? Legendary. He even had issues with his cousins. But one of the the last riddles that caught my attention that I thought, whoa, what the hell, is that police released video footage of this grainy individual walking near the residents of the Shermans. And he's called the walking man. No one knows a whole lot about this guy. They just know that the security footage from one of his neighbors caught this guy. And then later on in the evening, he's once again spotted. He's not doing anything, he's just walking. You know, it's been four years since the homicides, a little bit more than four years now. Uh, it's been about six years now. And They've been analyzing all this footage. Toronto police say that um, they they have accounted for everyone in the neighborhood what they were using or what they were doing that night, except this walking individual. They know he has an unusual gait, so he walks kind of funny. Um, and this mysterious guy has not come forward and say, hey, by the way, that was me walking my dog that night, or I was the one there. Look, I'm not part of this thing. So they have not been able to account for this guy, and that's the last of the the, uh, the riddles, which is who is the walking guy? He was there prior to the murders. He was there a couple of days before that, and then shortly after the murders, he was seen again on video surveillance cameras of the neighbors, and he's walking around that night. Is that relevant? Mm, don't know. I don't know many hitmen that would just walk around a neighborhood doing that kind of reconnaissance before and after a murder. So I don't know. But so what do you think? Well, I would think that this is such a low density neighborhood with these enormous houses that a guy that walks like that, kind of like he's going to invade Poland or something with these kind of high steps that, um, the neighbors are all obviously aware of the situation. So I would think if he was someone that lived in the neighborhood, they would have figured it out 
a while ago. Exactly. And that was, was one of my points as well. Look, if I'm out at two in the morning, billy bopping by your house, and, you know, I got this crazy date where I fling my arms around like I'm a pimp when I walk and stuff, you'd be able to say, shit, that's freaking Bill Nogueira, the guy that walks like a freaking pimp. <laughs> so if this guy with his funny gait was walking around and he's in that neighborhood or he lives there, other people would know, hey, that's fucking Matt Ralston fucking doing what he does, creeping around neighborhoods at two in the morning, you know, for his Death Row Diaries series. So, yeah, I think the person, um, I don't know many hit, hit men that would do that, but he's obviously somebody that needs to be looked at. Uh, I don't know how much they can really figure out by, uh, by just that grainy video, but there was, there's still there things there. There has to be DNA that was found there. Um, they must be analyzed. So there's a lot of questions. So in essence, these are the five riddles that I have about this case that made my eyebrow raise, rise. And um, I think they should be considered in, in the next episodes. We're going to go more into this. And of course, if you have anyone listening has information or feels that they may have an, an idea, uh, you know, DM uh, Matt and uh, or hell, send me a, a message through the Getting Out app. You know, you have to fill in an account for William Noguera, and my my D number is D seven seven two hundred. Send me your your thoughts. You know, Matt and I aren't perfect, and um, we could use your help. And I know that I uh, Matt can use the ten million dollars, and he he'd be more than likely or happy to uh, give somebody else half that money if, if they're able to solve this case. So, yeah, Bill, regarding this walking man with his goofy walk, if you were trying to pull off the perfect hit, you know, if you put your criminal hat on, I mean, the guy has to get to the house to do the killing, obviously, somehow, right? So driving a car, that's going to pose some problems with a license plate and any number of things. So is walking... Like, I don't know. To me, that doesn't seem like that bad of an option. But what do you think? Like, how, how would he get to the house? Well, if I was professional, I would know that cameras exist, that they have ring, they have all these different cameras. So more likely, I would be jumping. I, first of all, I would not just walk around. And maybe he knew the cameras weren't going to capture his face, but I'd have some kind of mask on or some kind of thing where you can't see my face. And I'd be jumping backyards. I would come in through the backyard. I wouldn't be kind of walking down the street back and forth. So that's why I don't think that this guy is... Maybe he is a person that can be asked about that night. Maybe he was a guy that was just burglarizing or scoping out houses. Maybe he wasn't related to this case at all, but he was actually a burglar. But if he was there that night and he is a criminal, he would have noticed something different going on in the house. And maybe that's the reason he's not coming forward. Or, hey, let's really look at the conspiracy theory here. This guy saw something. And the reason we can't find this son of a gun because he is a burglar. And the people that killed Barry Sherman found him and killed him first. So he can't describe them. Yeah, that sounds fairly plausible. Uh, so next week we'll get into it deeper with all the crazy stuff that uh, even crazier theories and, and we'll wrap it up so until then thank you guys for listening I've been Matt Ralston 
and I'm William Aguero. Be safe, be aware of your surroundings, your life. Could depend on it. Thank you, and again, we'll see you next time.